The Offseason Podcast is presented by Lining Kugels. Since 1867, Lining Kugels has been brewing some of the most delicious, refreshing beers around. And right now, get yourself a snowdrift vanilla snowdrift vanilla porter. There it is. A fuller-bodied brew with hints of cocoa, coffee, and caramel brought out by roasted malts and aged on real vanilla. The Lining Kugel Snowdrift Vanilla Porter is smooth and creamy, making it ideal for winter. So raise one to winter with Lining Kugels. Welcome to the Liney side. Jacob Lining Kugel Brewing Company, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Please enjoy your Linies responsibly. Andre Drummond, no longer a piston, traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. We get into that. Mark D'Antonio, no longer a Michigan State Spartan, at least in the head coaching title. MSU on the lookout for new football coach. Mookie Betts is a Dodger. That, of course, is very exciting to us Mookie. here in Loon's country. And then uh, we wrap up picks for the year, give you the final standings. How do we do uh, with the Super Bowl? Blake, not so good. Not so good. Uh, and then we do quick hits. Get this weekend in Michigan sports. Baker's back with us. Gang's back together again. Episode 189 of the podcast. ESPN 100.9 FM presents the Off-Season Podcast. Recorded every week inside the ESPN 100.9 FM studios, high atop Dow Diamond. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at ESPN1009.com. It is the off-season podcast, episode number 189. Good to be with you on a Friday night here on your local sports leader, ESPN 100.9 FM. Of course, like every Friday in the winter, following our SVL Game of the Week coverage presented by Covenant Healthcare, Brad Tunney had Heritage and Dow, a big rivalry on the girls' side happening. Uh, was it Midland or, or Saginaw? Where's it at tonight? Uh, Dow High. Dow High. So right here in Midland. Uh, appreciate Brad's coverage of that. Of course, we sit down before uh, the guys leave for their basketball coverage for the weekend on Friday afternoon. So we're sitting down inside the studios high atop Dow Diamond. DeVries underscore Matt B. Froling, Brad underscore Tunney, and of course, Josh K. Baker, our producer in the other room. Good to have Josh back. Josh, feeling good? Feeling great. Good. Uh, we've we've got something that we want you to bring to the table in quick. It's a little bit later in the show. So really? let's, yeah, let's, I see that. Let's be prepared. Let's see, let's get ready to go. So uh, we won't belabor the uh, or, or make us wait any longer. Andre Drummond to the Cavs. Long overdue. Wasn't sure it was going to happen. Forty five minutes before the deadline, Woj confirms it on Twitter, and uh, Andre Drummond is uh, is no longer a Detroit Piston. And overwhelmingly positive reviews from the fan base. Uh, immediately following the trade. But should they be overwhelmingly positive reviews of the trade? Brandon Knight, John Henson in a 2023 second-round pick. Pretty much drumming for a second-round pick, a salary dump. The floor is yours, gentlemen. I think there are a lot of hypocritical Pistons fans out there Mm. who earlier this year said, trade Drummond for literally nothing. Pretty sure it's been said multiple times on this show. Mm. Then when the Pistons do trade Drummond for literally nothing. They're like, what are you talking about? You couldn't get a first-round pick for him? You know, this guy, you know, he's a 20-15 and guy. You can't get anything for him? You can't have it both ways. Mm -hmm. This was, uh, unfortunately for him, the market value. And just because you put up stats doesn't mean you contribute to winning. And I think that's 
what the Pistons have found out that doing the same thing over and over again, the constant with all this change with the roster has been Andre Drummond, and let, he's been the losing constant. Constant. Let me rephrase then my opening statement. Overwhelmingly positive reviews from people who know what's going on with the Pistons. Casual Detroit sports fans who have chosen to forget about the Pistons for the last 18 to 24 months swoop in and say, what the hell's going on? Well, get out of here. Like, we don't, we don't need to hear from you. You have no clue what's going on. Stop listening. Stop. We don't want you a part of what we're doing. Well, Educate yourself first. Well, but should we say, can we agree in this room, overwhelmingly positive from the three of us? Oh, I was very excited. Brad? Yesterday, and it's it sucks that Drummond wore this as the face of the franchise, or at least wore it in this sense. He individually was holding this entire franchise back for his entire seven years in the program. And it wasn't just like him being a bad basketball player. It was him like in a great in a greater like the scapegoat of a lost era of the franchise. Like a completely lost era of Pistons basketball will be marked by Andre Drummond. And it wasn't until yesterday that you were finally able to flip the switch. Uh, and before I continue, the one thing that I love about him getting traded yesterday and not being able to continue on, it might have gotten worse, but seven years of Andre Drummond, he finishes his Pistons career as a negative 0.1 per 100 possessions. Hmm. And that's not wow. just when he's on the floor, because I know they've been a losing team. He was a minus 1.6 for his entire Pistons career when he's on the floor, but on-off, meaning the Pistons were better in his seven years with him off the floor than they were with him off the, uh, on the floor. Hmm. And it finished p- minus 0.1. Just perfect. Go I ahead. Would, okay, I know there's a lot that you guys have to say, so I want to at least get some stuff in here before this segment goes completely off the rails and goes deep into Andre oh. Drummond territory. Oh. I will, I will say, and I saw it a little bit um, in some of the articles that came out right after the trade broke, um, you, you got to give Andre maybe a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because he was a traditional back-to-the-basket center that was a supreme athlete at 18 years old when he came in for the size that he was, um, kind of a unique talent in that regard, but the NBA was just beginning to evolve or maybe even had already evolved to a point where In his sophomore season in the NBA, his position was made obsolete or his skill set wasn't needed in today's NBA anymore. So I will at least give Andre the benefit where... But no one's blaming him, It's unfortunate for him in his case that he was brought in to be this prototypical big-time center, Alonzo Mourning, Patrick Ewing, like a big focal point center when all of a sudden, two years later, it's like, hey, man, we don't need you anymore. And he's like, well, what do you want me to do? Well, that's I mean, what his, I brought in to do. His game also never changed, though. Like, True. a lot of these guys are changing their he games in real time. He chose to improve his back-to-the-basket game and become a better, you know, big man big man down low, and that's not what they needed. Become better at the skills that NBA teams don't want anymore yeah. is basically what he did. Mm-hmm. And he never had elite talent around him, mm-hmm. which was another thing. Put him on a different in a different franchise, in a different setup, maybe things are slightly different, but... I don't think he was ever going to be able to do anything playoff-wise if he was asked to be the best player or the second-best player on a team. I still think this is where the conversation is wrong, though, because a lot of Pistons fans are saying the same thing. Like, the Pistons didn't set him up for success. Like, that whole conversation's got to just end with Andre Drummond because, like, we wouldn't be saying that about, like... Just, I mean, nationally, Andre Drummond is not viewed the same way he is in-state, meaning he is not considered to be... 
and he never was a, t- a top 30 guy in the league. Mm. So to say, like, we didn't surround him with enough, like, no, he's like the fourth best player on a good basketball team. And that's and that's about a guy that sometimes can go 20 and 20. Right. And as good as going 20 and 20 is, most of the NBA guys, most of the basketball guys that just started watching Drummond a little bit in the last couple of weeks in preparation for the deadline, like the national writers, the scouts, will tell you that they'll watch Drummond for a full game and he could go 25 and 20. Mm-hmm. And there wouldn't be a less impactful 25 and 20 in NBA history. Mm-hmm. He's out there stealing rebounds from teammates. Half of his rebounds are uncontested. Uh, like, uh, he could go 25 and 20 and be the fourth most impactful player on the floor some nights, which I think it, it just, in, in a full stance of what he did for the Pistons in seven years, that's exactly right. Like, like he led the league in defensive rating twice. He led the league in defensive win shares twice meaningless mm-hmm. uh and again finishing his pistons career as a minus 0.1 per 100 possessions with him on the floor compared to off so hearing that and for people that maybe are a little have a little bit of tunnel vision and don't understand the national perception around him I, i'm gonna throw out two names and tell me if i'm completely off base as comparing his game you know, maybe not at his peak, but like on a declining Dwight Howard or a Hassan Whiteside. His name has come up a lot when we compare Andre Drummond, right? Mm-hmm. A guy like Hassan Whiteside, who was really good in Miami and has gone on to be a pretty good big man in the NBA, but no one in Detroit really knows him or knows no. what he can do. And he's a he can be a 20-20 guy on the Pistons if he played there. In the right spot, yeah. I mean, I've, I've said like since Drummond got into the league that he is most close in terms of game and skill set to Hassan Whiteside 100%. Mm-hmm. And no one talks about Hassan Whiteside the way they do Andre Drummond right. well, the because difference of is, the situation. Well, yeah, Hassan Whiteside is not asked to be the star right. of the team, mm-hmm. which is completely the point. If Andre Drummond was making $10 million a year as the fourth best player on a sure. team, he'd be fine. Mm-hmm. But because of the position he's put in, he looks a lot worse. And a good segue, Blake. Uh, the reason uh, for many people, what they're saying is why the return wasn't so good is Andre Drummond had a $28.8 million player option that was uh, looming over this whole situation of it's it's Andre's decision if he wants to pick that up or not. Now it's the Cleveland Cavaliers' problem, and that's probably the main reason why uh, the Pistons didn't get as much back as they could have. And you know, even going deeper, some of those articles that we all read yesterday said maybe they should have seriously considered trading Andre one or two years ago, you know, 24, 36 months ago, because his value would have been a lot higher because that player option would have been looming so large. And that's, that's the biggest point of frustration here is because like, I can remember being a junior in college four years ago, five years ago, whenever it was, complaining that they hadn't moved him yet. Like, at that point, it was tiresome. Hmm. So, like, yesterday, the news comes down, and I was excited, but just so so empty to the idea that, like, oh, okay, he's gone now. Mm-hmm. When it should have taken place four years ago, and the Blake Griffin move should have never been made. It's all right. revisionist histories, but yesterday, like, yesterday for me was the day that I bought back in for the Pistons. Like, I have not cheered for this franchise because I have not respected the moves that they have made. And this was, like, the franchise that got me into sports as a kid. This is my favorite team in Detroit. The only team that I've truly cared about for my entire lifetime. And I am now back in from yesterday. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy to think that some fans are mad that the return wasn't good enough when I feel like I'm not in the minority when I say that, like, I'm now, like, going to be actively looking at every move the Pistons make moving forward. Where like, before you didn't, you like, didn't like care last because year it didn't when they matter. moved Reggie Bullock and got Svima, like I, I couldn't care less. 
And now that Drummond's off the roster, I'm I'm a fan again. Like I am invested again, mm-hmm. which is very odd to say when you move your biggest money player, a guy that's been with you for seven years, that's grown with you. I just I never liked him. I never liked him as a person, and not to like kill the guy's character. I mean, Pistons fans know this guy. Like he's just an immature guy. Yeah. And it sucked to say that about a guy when he was 23 or younger in his first five years. But like you're you're an NBA veteran now. You're 27, and to give us the scripted boy, the NBA has no friends, no loyalty, when, like, you've been shopped for four years, man. man. Like, it's it's just, like, an unaware, immature, scripted response, almost as if, like, he knew he was getting traded and he wanted to be one of those guys that, like, felt disrespected. Because we see that from, like, big-name guys all the time that get traded and get blindsided by it. It's like, man, you just got moved for a second-round pick as a salary dump, as a guy who's been tossed in trade rumors for four years and, like... We're supposed to care? Like, yeah. I don't think Pistons fans truly cared about him the way he cared about Detroit, which is unfortunate for I him. I don't think many people are, are feeling bad for Andre Drummond, mm-hmm. especially since he, he secured the bag a long time ago. He's been making yeah. a lot of money in Detroit and maybe more than he should have been making. It was just the situation that he found himself in playing for a, a sorry franchise in the Pistons. Not to add to the Drummond pile on, but like <laughs> his career is over. Like, I don't know if that's unless going he, too far. But unless he looks in the mirror and changes his game. But what can he change? I don't though? even think don't know, if he changes I'm... his game. Like, his career is over now. Like, he gets traded, and next year he's going to pick up that option, and he's going to fall even deeper into oblivion. It, the reason why he had somewhat of a fan base and some credibility here is because he had been here seven years. Yeah. He's now going to Cleveland, where all their fans are miserable post-LeBron. Mm-hmm. They have terrible ownership with Dan Gilbert there. A bad GM. They have six different big men who are trying to grab rebounds now. They've killed draft picks for years, and he's going to go there without any credibility like he had in Detroit, pick up an option for $30 million and become an even bigger bad guy. Yeah. And then after that, like, he's not even going to get the Clint Capella money, which well, we okay. thought was lower, was like $18 million a year. Like, Drummond's going to get a deal for like 12 to $15 million a year in two years and be a, a no one. Like, his career's over, unfortunately. I think the saving grace for Andre, though, is, I mean, there is still, there is still a, a it, it doesn't have as many dollar signs in front of it, but there, there is a future where if he, if he takes, an, like, a big enough pay cut, a contender would take him on potentially, and he may not be a starting center. He may have to be relegated to a rotational guy. But if that's what he truly wants, he won't pick up the option. And he, he'll he's be already co- said he will. His people have said he will. Well, well, well he that, needs to because well, that's fine. He's just throwing away money if yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. Okay, but what do you really value in your career then? Money. Is that what every player chooses to value? No, to- not every player. But Tom a, Brady's situation different. I realize he's made a ton of money yeah, in his like, career. I, I'm just saying he is not the I'm, missing piece. Okay, you're not giving up 15 million though yourself. No, I'm not, I, I'm absolutely not. Yeah. I also don't make a million dollars a year or right. 10, 20, 30 million dollars a year. That my situation is completely different. If I've made more money than I could ever imagine in my lifetime, and I'm set for life, and my family's set for life, okay, maybe I want to go try and win a title, and I want to go somewhere else. So this trade, do you think is as impactful as as the Chauncey Billups trade? I think this I think this trade for me is as impactful in the in the opposite way as the Blake Griffin trade was. Like in terms of days of history for Pistons fan bases, like No, this is more impactful than Blake Griffin. I'm saying like that was supposed to be a positive change and it ended up being a terribly negative change for the Pistons. I think this is just as positive as the Blake Griffin trade was negative. I, th- I think they're different forms they're of a trade. They're on each end of the but spectrum. Like instead of acquiring Blake Griffin and giving up assets and doing a ton of things, which was which felt in the real moment 
40 times bigger sure. than a salary dump. Sure. I think they're on the same level historically as saying, look, like when we look back on this era, those two trades, moving Drummond and attaining Griffin are the same. I think the Blake Griffin trade did not impact the franchise's direction as much as the Andre Drummond trade will. Because if the Pistons didn't trade Blake Griffin, would they have probably lost in the first round again? Yes. They got him. They still lost in the first round. Right. You're looking at them both positively, though. I'm saying this trade positively is equal to what the Griffin trade was negatively. No, I'm saying, did the Blake Griffin trade move the franchise in any direction? It yeah, stayed it the same. it buried them for five years. It stayed the same. It buried them. Whereas the Andre Drummond trade clears such a huge chunk. You understand what I'm saying, Matt, right? Yeah, and yeah. I'm trying to get back to the original question. I'm, you asked, just you brought up th- Chauncey Billups. Yeah. So remind folks, I didn't have this prepared. Remind folks of that trade. What? W- how old was he? Chauncey Billups it was in 2008, Antonio and McDice. they moved him and McDice to the Nuggets for Allen Iverson in 08. And okay. it signaled the end of an era uh-huh. for the Pistons. Yeah. And I think the Andre Drummond trade also signals the end of an era for the Pistons. Mm-hmm. A bad era, mm-hmm. which could lead to a different kind of bad era mm-hmm. if they go full rebuild, which it looks like they will. But I think it's still the end of an era. I don't think the Blake Griffin trade signaled the beginning of any kind of an era. Right. They just got deeper into the mediocrity that they signaled were already the start stuck of this in. This era they're in. It was just the continuation of we're going for it, but we're not in a position to go for it. The, it was it was the continuation of misguided, blinded uh the lack Billup, of knowledge or the Billups trade was it. one of the worst trades in franchise history. Mm-hmm. And this trade just out of necessity, is one of the better ones in franchise history. Not as good as Rasheed Agreed. Wallace. Correct. It's just, yesterday was an outstanding day. A day to, to rejoin the Pistons bandwagon, a day to start caring again, a day to, uh, I mean, just basketball-wise, we now get a, a full half season of Christian Wood as the starting five, mm-hmm. which is outstanding. I mean, he, he was a player that, at the deadline, many teams asked about. He had more value than Andre Drummond. Yeah. 100%. There was an acceptable deal on the table from the Celtics, and the Pistons turned it down. And, and like, look, you could claim that the Pistons should have moved more pieces. They should have forced yeah. their way to move Rose Kennard. and Kennard and Wood and everybody else. And I, I think as, as good as that may be, it's a little greedy. We've been begging for this move by itself for four oh, years. Yeah. Take what it is, and, like, you've got Kennard, Sekou, and Christian Wood, and now a first-round pick that I think they're going to be bad enough to move into the top five. Okay. And I was going to get to that a little bit later in the show. And and if it's the top, I mean, I think easily they'll end up with at least the fifth best odds. If they really do it right, Griffin out for the year, (laughs) they could tell Kennard, sorry, get lost in Maui for the rest of the season. Like they could really do this right and end up with the third, like the third best odds, which is in reach. Like Atlanta could easily pass them up now with Capella. Minnesota's a lot better. Cleveland got better with Drummond. Like Charlotte's going to easily pass them. Cleveland gets better with Drummond after you just trash the guy for 20 minutes? I mean, yeah, he's he's going to be better for them, yes. Ooh, I don't know. So because of all of that, they could get a top three pick. And albeit this draft is maybe the worst of our lifetime, and that's not an exaggeration. It could be the worst of 25 years. Whoa. If they that's get a, underwhelming. If they get a top three. We're like, tanking with the worst draft in, in our mean, era coming Poor timing. That's, sure. that's I think I think there's like one guy. I think it's Anthony Edwards, and outside of that, I'm a little – I like LaMelo Ball a little – but that's about it. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. I, I have some time carved out for that. But post, we got time for the NBA or no? Post trade, um, just give you give you the the sense of where we're at. 
Reggie Jackson and Langston Galloway both come off the books this year, and hopefully the Pistons don't resign either of those guys. That's $25 million right there. The Josh money, the Josh Smith money comes off the books as well. That's Josh about $5 million. Uh, So projections right now, and you guys have been telling me for the last couple months the cap is probably going to go down this year, but expected to have around $35 million in cap space this summer. Uh, for the Pistons heading into the offseason, which is which is a decent position to be. Cap is going up, but just not as much as the initial projections said. Am I wrong to say that you guys did tell me it, it was going to go down? We thought it might. Okay. Based on well, LeBron ruining the NBA. You know? uh, wait a second. The cap itself should, I mean, roughly stay exactly the same. Okay. Wow, we are just all over the board here. Anyway, right anyway, yeah, they're going to be like one of seven teams with cap room in a terrible year for free agency, too. Yeah, okay. But, but the I'm not- cap room is not to sign free it's agents. It's not designed to sign free agents. It's designed to take on bad contracts when you can also take on a first-round pick That's right. and keep the tank going. That is that is what the cap space is designed for Come this on, Brad. Summer. You're supposed to be an educated NBA fan. You know that. That's I don't even know what you guys just said. Would, would, would caps, you want them to do what the Knicks just did? No. I want, I want the Pistons to be able to take on $18 million in an expiring contract or something. You want him to take on Drummond next year with a first from the Cavs. Wow. That would be nice. Next level. That would be great. Yes. That would be something. They'll have the cap space to do it. I, I, a deal like that. Yes, exactly. I, I think there are really bad front offices in the <laughs> NBA. I think that's like truly a market inefficiency. Like There are only a few good ones. Cle- Cleveland, this is a bad move for Cleveland. I mean, you may not think it is. You may think it's a high... High reward, low risk. Like, it's just a bad move for them. They're a young team, and now they have, like, 40 disgruntled players. Drummond, Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson. Like, every single one of their players hates being there. J.R. Smith doesn't even show up. J.R. Smith is not on the team. He is on their roster and on their payroll. Are you serious? Yes. He just doesn't show up. Just like Iguodala. Iguodala. (laughs) Iguodala. And so you add him, and it's just a terrible move. I'm surprised the Pistons got a second-round pick. Yeah, what's the incentive for Cleveland? nothing taking on a disgruntled player and forcing yourself to pay him 30 million for two years anyway okay andre drummond no longer a piston a day of celebration in the eyes of brad tunney for the pistons fans and uh could be an interesting summer maybe not as interesting as you know the chance to sign charlie v and and ben gordon <laughs> ben gordon but, but uh, you, you joke i know and they're gonna they're gonna spend money on players that you're gonna hate this that summer they, that they shouldn't fred van vliet just wait. It's going to be bad. Uh, but we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about the potential of the NBA lottery draft lottery coming up a, a little bit later in the show. Lots of other big news that we want to get to, and uh, we talk Mark D'Antonio next and what that means for the future of Michigan State football. The offseason podcast. We're back here on the offseason podcast. It's episode one eighty nine, and we're presented every single. Every single week, there it is, uh, by Line and Kugels, distributed by JPO Sullivan. Get yourself a snowdrift vanilla porter. That's Line and Kugels. Welcome to the Liney side. Matt Blake, Brad, around the table. Josh in the other room as our producer. High atop Dow Diamond here in the ESPN 100.9 FM studios. Mark D'Antonio retires as Michigan State's head football coach. Um, kind of was un- unexpected at the time. Uh, reading the tea leaves, looking back in hindsight, maybe could have saw this coming just he had just testified in the Curtis Blackwell lawsuit um, and seeing him up at the podium Blake certainly looked like a man that was defeated so uh, it sounds like this had been weighing on him ever since the bowl game which was the pinstripe bowl in New York the win over Wake Forest and I think the the comments that stood out to me the most was when he was on the recruiting trail and he was going to visit players in high schools and he couldn't confident confidently tell them that they would 
he would even be there for their careers, even the start of their careers when they came onto campus. So I guess, you know, with everything weighing on him and everything that happened to him uh, in his program, uh, some of it self-inflicted and just, you know, with, with what some of his players were doing as well, it sounds like Mark D'Antonio just got a, got swallowed up by the avalanche that is college football in, in 2020, and uh, he chooses to step down. It's interesting how all season, and even before last season, a lot of people were saying he either needs to change or get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And as the season progressed, it turned more into get out of the way, mm-hmm. ride off into the sunset, get your statue. And we talked about that the whole season. And then when it finally happens, we're all still surprised mm-hmm. that it actually happened. Because we talked about it, but I don't think any of us truly deep down thought that D'Antonio was going to give up. Yeah, I think because of the timing that he didn't think he was going to give up either. Mm-hmm. The question is, what was the final straw? Is it Curtis Blackwell and something that might come out in the future with his case, with possible recruiting violations? Did he see something coming where he might be forcibly removed, so he wanted to go out somewhat on his own terms? We don't really know yet 100% what is going to happen. So that's why it feels a little weird, because I think if D'Antonio just wanted to retire, he had had enough, he would have done it right after the bowl game. Mm -hmm. I don't think he would have dragged it out this far till the day before signing day. Now, at least it wasn't the day after uh, signing day because right. that would have been slimy. But, I mean, still, 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 still slimy. Not a, <laughs> still not a great look. And also, people are bashing him for staying through the deadline where he would pick up his $4 million option. Mm-hmm. Who would turn that down? Yeah, that I, I think that's the dumbest part of any criticism D'Antonio gets because he deserves criticism for this. But not for that part. Well, he deserves criticism for maybe some of the reasons why he stepped down. Yes, the well, Austin that's the Ro- point. The Austin oh, Robertson yeah. scandal and and just all of the players that he recruited that are, you know, the entirely off the team. The entire 2016 recruiting class. There is more than, than there should be the sexual assault scandals that have followed Michigan State for the last couple of years in a vacuum with the football program. No... Don't don't attach Larry Nasser to Mark D'Antonio. Just the football program itself has dealt with enough of it mm-hmm. inside their own walls. Uh, but then you also have you know Curtis Blackwell Blackwell possibly being wrongfully terminated, um, and, and there's just all these things that have been coming out. And and Brad, what is the main story from an outsider's perspective? It, it has to be how convenient that he steps down before all these findings come out in this lawsuit, right? Is that what the outsiders say? I uh, personally. I haven't, it's not like I've talked to anybody about this. I just think personally, one, timing's terrible. Two, it, it fits him. And <laughs> and look, I don't know how you guys still view him, like because he's the guy that's supposed to have the statue out front of Spartan Stadium. And he will. I'm sure he will. And should he still? Well, I, I think the problem is we don't know exactly what's coming out. So I think at its very worst, like this is this is like legacy tarnishing for me. Hmm. At the worst. At certainly. the worst. Yeah. If if like multiple lawsuits are true, or at least enough enough of this to be true, because eighty percent of the time none of this gets fulfilled, but they're still guilty. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. in public opinion. And yeah, the the bonus thing is just ridiculous that people are are mad at him for taking the bonus. First of all, like Michigan State for putting that into their contract. Yeah, if you put that a in retention, contract, a retention bonus for four point three million yeah. at that point of the year, like be mad at Mark just Hollis a for that. Terrible mm-hmm terrible mistake yeah it's a terrible thing for you to put in a football coach's contract 
And and also, I don't blame him for timing necessarily because there's never a good time to do this. Mm-hmm. There's never a good time for a head football coach to step away from their program unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And like you said, even though I think people in the program, people out of the program, alums, no matter who it was, thought this was coming, thought last year was his last year. We had talked throughout the year that like this feels like a season where he's just a lame duck, like mm-hmm. that we know he's already out the door. And then it happens, and you're a little surprised that's an indication of his character. Like, we are still surprised by it because he has been so stubborn for years. And we just assumed that he would be too stubborn to leave. The same way he had been too stubborn to move away from coaches or to not even promote his boys from within, which was even worse than moving away from ill-performing coaches. So I think that's why it's still a surprise to me because... This offseason, it's like, oh, well, unless they fire him, he's just going to stick around and continue to sabotage East Lansing. Because that's what he's done for two or three years. Like, point blank, he has sabotaged your football program. Mm -hmm. So, okay. A couple ways I want to go with this. Uh, As far as, like, the the coaching staff and sabotaging the the football program, you could argue that he sabotaged this year. But, but, But previously, I mean... What was competing at a, at a decent level? There was a dip in there with the three and nine, and then there was a year where okay, you got to change your coaching staff, and he didn't. He said, "I'm going to reshuffle it. We're going to try it," and it didn't work, right? Obviously, and we all knew it wasn't going to work from the get go. But that's Mark D'Antonio being loyal to a fault, and whether he should be loyal like that or not, it's a business, and you need to kind of have have a a bigger picture view than just being nice to your friends. And he didn't. And it didn't go on any longer than that. If he would have stuck around any longer, then I think this year would have been like, okay, man, what what are we doing here? Why are you still here? I'll take that one year, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll back it up another year and just saying that like, you're you're supposed to be the head football coach of a program that should be think that should be forward thinking, that should be thinking about time past your own time in terms of recruiting, in terms of style of play, in terms of reputation, and the way he ran his offense and just again recruiting the 2016 class in particular, all of that coming together, like that affects you down the road for years. Like it's now tough to get players at East Lansing and it's going to be that way no matter who the head coach is for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So I think just based on the stubbornness of how he ran the program, one with the coaches, two, the style of play, and and three, like you guys as Michigan State fans knew he wasn't best serving the university for the last two years. Like he wasn't the same guy as he was that took you to the Rose Bowl mm-hmm. that deserved the statue outside. So for the last two years, this has not been a guy that you've approved of. Right. And he's just kind of said, screw you guys, I'm Mark D'Antonio. Right, basing off the first 10 years right. of his tenure. And most guys deserve that. And yeah, there's and no I, say that he shouldn't deserve yeah, that. Yeah, and I think it's just him believing in himself. I mean, I'm not going to punish the guy for saying, I think I can turn this around. I think I can do this. Like, But you I didn't guy- believe in him. No, but I mean, well, if, if he believed in himself, then it's like, then prove me wrong. And he didn't. And he stepped aside. Like, I mean, I'm not going to bash a guy that tr- I, I'm not going to say he showed up every day and didn't try. Like he thought he had it within himself. And then he came to the conclusion throughout the year. And he said he was thinking about it in like October and November. He's like, do I want to do this anymore? And it just took him a little bit longer to come to that decision. I'm just saying, at least he came to that decision eventually and mm-hmm. ridded all of the fans of himself realizing the game has passed me by. It's too fast. I can't handle it anymore. I'm going to step aside. Whether it was 12 or 18 months too late, okay, we can we can argue that. But he did mm-hmm. give us the best era in the best era in Michigan State football history. Yeah. Right. When you take a 
uh, view from the top here, you're going to say that right now the football program is in a better state than the day before he took Mark D'Antonio yeah. took over. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what every college coach wants from when they take a job. Mm-hmm. Leave the program in a better spot that it's been. Is it at the peak of what it was with D'Antonio? No, mm-hmm. but I think this shows to other coaches – prospective coaches around the country and and just college football in general that the potential for Michigan State as a program is much higher than was previously thought. Well, that's easy to say in a vacuum, sure. But just put yourself in a prospective coach's shoes. Do you think the Michigan State job is a good job? Well, it it depends where you compare it. Compared to what? If you are... If you're Use Luke Fickle. if you're Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, you do not take the Michigan State job. Why not? Cincinnati is a better job. Is it? Yes, for so, Luke Fickle in his career, it is a better think, job. In the same way he has said that it's a better job. Well, of course he's going to say that because he's at Cincinnati right now. Yeah, but now. believe it though. I mean, Cincinnati he has rising and is going to win more games than Michigan State will they next year. They don't play in the Big I Ten. Under, I understand that. But when you are an up and coming coach, it's about taking momentum into your next biggest job. Okay. And if he were to jump ship to Michigan State tomorrow, he's losing football games for two years, right? Like, the, there's just no talent there. Davos Sweeney did the same thing at Clemson. So you're saying if he I waits just, another year, there could be an even better yeah, job okay, that, waiting for him. Well, and What's also the, the history of Michigan State before Mark D'Antonio and in an era where Michigan is good and will be good for a while. I don't think Michigan State is that appealing of a job. So you don't think Mark D'Antonio's success is repeatable? Then why the hell are you coaching? If you don't want to challenge yourself. Well, okay, you can challenge yourself, but well, you can that, also you can also just tell yourself that I'm in a better position right now. Like we don't have to all claim that Michigan State is a great job. I don't think it's a top half job in the Big Ten right now, is all I'm saying. So what were the teams that you'd put ahead of them? Ohio State, Michigan, I mean like Penn State. Penn State. Nebraska. Yeah, Nebraska. Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin as always. PJ Flex. I was gonna say Minnesota. PJ Flex, Minnesota. They've never been. Minnesota this. has way less of a winning pedigree. I mean, they were going back to nineteen. That's what I'm saying. Three correct. PJ Fleck. Who, which he, who who's are not you recruiting leaving. against? You're, He's recruiting against the same people at Michigan State that he is at mm, Cincinnati. Yes, he oh, is at Michigan State and Cincinnati. He's recruiting the same kids. He's we just, out, we, he we out, still just listed five or six schools, right? It's fine. That's yeah, middle of the pack right now. Yeah. So where else is he going to go then? Who? Luke Fickle? Yeah. If he's going to wait a year or two, where is he going? I am fairly confident he stays at Cincinnati. Oh, and yeah, I, and that, I don't think... Then that, that makes zero sense. Not forever, no, but he's not taking the Michigan State job. I mean, just take your Spartan glasses off and tell me that you're jumping ship from a program on the rise in Cincinnati for Michigan State right now. Tell me you're doing that. I mean... Because that's, that's all I'm simply trying to say is... Okay, but that's my argument then. If you're not, if you're content at Cincinnati and playing in a group of you're five, you're obviously not content at Cincinnati. That's obviously you not just the said ceiling. He stays. Instead of the Michigan State job. But then where is he? What is he waiting for? USC. What what middle of the road power five job is he waiting for? Because I mean, you don't. You there's no way to know which power five jobs are going to open up. James Franklin sanctions gets fired at Penn State. Whatever. Okay, then that's a better job. Paul Christ isn't going anywhere. P.J. Flex not going anywhere. Just, Scott Frost. Just tell isn't me going you're anywhere. leaving Cincinnati for this Michigan State job right now. That's that's not that's on Michigan State well, to convince him to do that. But you're not convinced it's a better job. Better better facilities. You still haven't said you wouldn't do it. You would do it though. Well, me personally, I'm not in that position. Of course, I want Luke Fickle to to leave and take it. 
And I think there is more potential at Michigan State than there is at Cincinnati. He is coming close to hitting the ceiling at Cincinnati. He Cincinnati cannot, is never going into the playoffs. He cannot achieve. Well, understandable. So go somewhere where you have the ability to maybe do but, that. But the same way P.J. Fleck didn't leave after his top 10 finish in the in the BCS or whatever final rank, it took him an, another year, and he went undefeated. Then, and, and then, then he went he to left. Minnesota. Correct. What's, what's different about the job that P.J. Fleck took at Minnesota than the Michigan State job right now? What's different? There's not much different. So then what is he waiting for? <laughs> He's waiting for the right time. And I don't think joining Michigan State's program right now is a great time. It's a, it's very simply, I don't know how we got started here. Are you, so are you, just, are you saying because of the possible NCAA violations? Because... The sexual, I think the talent the cupboard assaults. is bare. I think the talent cupboard is bare. I think trying to compete against Ohio State and Michigan in an era where they're both good is very, very tough, as it was for every single head coach before Mark D'Antonio, who only was good when Michigan was bad. Mm-hmm. I just think it's really tough to win there. And to say that it's that it's a good coaching job right now, I don't think it's viewed that way nationally. I think it maybe is in the state with guys with Spartan goggles, but like it is tough to compete with Michigan and Ohio State and those brands when they are good. Nobody is denying that. Right. But there are only so many jobs to go around. Jim Harbaugh's <laughs> not leaving. Ryan Day's not leaving. James Franklin's not leaving. So right. I'm just saying, if it's not the right time, then when is the right time for Luke Fickle after next year when no big job in your eyes, Brad, that opens up? Then he just stays at Cincinnati three or four more years? I will also say Michigan State's in a tough spot because of the timing sure. where pretty much everybody like Luke Fickle, those types of coaches have already found their next spot mm-hmm. and all the assistants have found mm-hmm. their spots. So I was looking at the the list of odds, best odds to become the next Michigan State head coach. It was... A bunch of nobodies. A bunch of nobodies. I, I, I could probably name recognize two or three of the names tops. Mm-hmm which is probably because of timing and partially because maybe people don't want to be the guy after Mark D'Antonio. I mean, do you want to be the guy Part after Bo Schembechler or Woody Hayes? No, it's a tough act to follow when the expectations for Michigan fan, Michigan State fans right now are Mark D'Antonio took us here. Now you can take us here. Mm, Mark D'Antonio didn't do so hot the last few years. You go 8-4 and four as a right, Michigan but, State head coach, we're, we're happy. Right, but they're going to say, okay, you don't have to do that right now, but in five years, we want to be competing for Big Ten championships well, and competing for a spot so. in the playoff. Every right? big, that's the expectation for Scott Frost at Nebraska. Like That's the expectation for any coach coming it's into a Power to 5 do, job. Though, I'm yeah, saying. but the expectation is going to be the same no matter the job he takes. Yeah, in three to five years, we want you competing for a conference title. But how many every how many coaches that. how many coaches are replacing the best coach in that program's history? Yeah, not many. Not many, and mm-hmm. that's what the next coach at Michigan State will walk into. Yeah, I, I think just very flatly, this is not this is not a program that it was for the five year stretch that D'Antonio was good. No one's denying that. This program, I think, is seen nationally in terms of its brand, in terms of its position in its own state, in its own region, in its own conference as the program that it was for the 30 years that preceded D'Antonio more than it was the 15 years that he was there. That's, that's flatly all I was stating that this is not a job outside of the state of Michigan that I think is as coveted as it is for folks in the state. I think it's better than when John L. Smith was the coach. I think that the ceiling is higher than when John L. Smith was the coach. It's not viewed as the sure. way that it was when it was sure. before Nick I mean, Saban got it. They were it. like an Illinois, yeah. like bad Big Ten. 
Right. They're, I think they're a step ahead, as we just stated. They're a middle Big Ten team now in terms of their program's pedigree. And before D'Antonio took it over, they were, what, a bottom third program? Mm-hmm. They're a middle so, team right now with yeah. the potential to be a top two or three in the Big Ten. Everyone does. I don't think Illinois has the potential to be a top two team in the Big Ten. No one thought Minnesota could be. Again, Michigan State, you're either you're either the high, you're either the blue bloods or you're not, and they're not. I'm not disputing that. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, you're I still not going to convince me that Cincinnati's a better job. Yeah, that one I'm it, off on. I never said it was a better job. Yes, you did. I just simply <laughs> stated that Luke Fischel, Luke Fickle should not jump ship from Cincinnati to take this job specifically. So if this job opened up a year later. He still shouldn't do it just because he's following Mark D'Antonio? I think it's all situational. I think what you have to do is look at what talent is on right now, who you're competing against in the conference, and where you're going from. Like, I think the tie-in for Luke Fickle is obviously close ties university, recruits the Midwest, which I think is slightly overrated because you end up recruiting different players anyway. Uh, I, I just think it's too convenient for, for, for that to fit. And he's having success at Cincinnati. Jump. For the perfect job, not for the for the good job. Like what Matt Campbell's doing at Iowa State. Sure. Didn't leave. That's Middle right. of the road Big 12 program, and he's staying. Right. He, the best pro, best coach that Iowa what? State has ever had, I think. I don't know Why much about Ohio, Iowa State. Why? What did I say that was funny? No, you, nothing, nothing. You're right. Oh. Well, I'm just saying that is, a, that is yeah. playing into your argument. It's the exact thing that happened. Matt Campbell, you'd think, okay, a job in the Big Ten where a, a team that had been to the playoff, one of, what, 10 programs to be to the playoff since it's existed, mm-hmm. and he wants to stay at Iowa State. That maybe says something about Michigan State right now. Maybe he just loves Iowa State. Could be. Maybe well. he wants to turn he's, Iowa State and, into and that He's from Ohio, and, too. And don't get triggered, but how close are the programs actually, though, Iowa State and Michigan State? Well, Iowa, Iowa State's, State's had a better run recently, but they haven't been to the just, playoff. Just historically, are they similar? I think oh, Michigan historically, State over them, 50 years, yeah. Just... Just take the Michigan goggles off, and if you ask someone in California, Michigan State, Ohio State, Michigan State, Iowa State, yeah, Michigan State, Iowa State, like they're just, they're just similar programs. They're not even they're not the program in their own state. Just for me, that's it. Fair enough. I got the sports reference college football. <laughs> yeah, I've got the Michigan State, one. Iowa State all time five nineteen six forty seven and forty five. What is Michigan State? Five eighty five three eighty three five five eighty yeah three eighty three. Really? Far, they played that much more? 95 years. Iowa State won. 122. Holy Good shit. Good for them. And They've a far a, worse winning percentage. But who 19, knew? 1898. There you go. Uh, Michigan State, first year of football? 1922. Oh. I don't know. Oh, I, just, I just gave you the year. Yeah, it is 1918. Oh. Oh. That's cool. So I'm just saying, Iowa State, not the same Michigan State. Sure. A bowl record, though. Bowl record, 15 bowls, 4 and 11. That's tough. Ooh, 13 and 16. Mookie Betts is a Dodger. We'll talk about that next on the podcast. Moving along here on the Offseason Podcast, here on your local sports leader, ESPN 100.9 FM, episode 189 of the Offseason Podcast, presented by Line and Kugels and distributed by J.P. O'Sullivan, the Snowdrift Vanilla Porter. Get one today from Line and Kugels. Mm. Mookie Betts was traded mm. by the Boston Red Sox. Or was he? That is true. Oh, okay. All right. Uncertain still. This is news to me. Oh, because it's not final? It is not final. Pending physicals. Yeah, the medical on that right-handed 250,000 pounder, that guy from the Twins. They'll throw in some other reliever to make the deal work. They'll figure it out. Well, I mean, the Dodgers may have to give up a prospect now. 
Oh, interesting. We'll get into that a little bit. Uh, Dodgers reportedly get Mookie Betts and David Price. The Red Sox get Alex Verdugo, a guy we really like from the Dodgers. Um, Bruce Dar Gratterall, is that how we're going to go with that? I don't know. He's worthless. Okay. And then Kenta Maeda goes to Minnesota uh, from the Dodgers. Mookie Betts, in the final year of his current deal, he'll make $27 million this season for the Dodgers. Uh, he reportedly previously asked the Boston Red Sox for a 10-year, $420 million deal. Nice. Wow. $42 million a year. Uh, would have made him, obviously, the highest-paid player in baseball. Um, the note that um, is pertinent, the reason the Dodgers are taking back David Price, he's due $96 million over the next three seasons, $32 million per. Mm. Still under contract for three more years. So, uh, Mookie going to the Dodgers, we all lost our minds when that happened. Was that Tuesday or Wednesday that happened uh, earlier this week? It was, oh boy, it was the same day as the State of the Union. Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. So we all lost our minds just uh, frothing at the mouth at the possibility of a, a lineup for the Dodgers that included Mookie Betts. Um, and I'll just get the general reaction from you. I do have a couple of questions that I want to get your thoughts on, but still a crazy day for the Dodgers going from possibly the best lineup in baseball to adding Mookie Betts to that lineup. Basically a rental, a one-year rental. Mm-hmm. I don't see the Dodgers giving him that 10-year $420 million Absolutely contract. No. Whoa, why not? It's not in their MO. They've never given in this uh They've never signed regime, a contract over $100 million. Over $100 million, Andrew Friedman. That's just not how he rolls. So they're not going to sign him? That's, I don't that's think for so. La- that's for later in the discussion. Wow. Blake went right there at the beginning. But still, a great day for the Dodgers. Wow. Let's start over. Really exciting to get Mookie Betts, right, for the 2020 season when they're trying yes. to win a World Series. Yes. And Capitalizing this, on the window. This was the best move available for a contending team to put themselves in a position to win a World Series. Mm-hmm. Mookie Betts, even though he's not a free agent, he basically was because the Red Sox were shopping him. The Dodgers make the move that I think some fans probably wanted them to do either in this trade deadline, this past one, or previous off-seasons, getting the big-ticket guy. This is that big-ticket guy and it makes them by far the best team in the NL and probably right up with the Yankees, if not slightly they are the be- They are the best team in baseball. If this trade goes through and Mookie Betts is officially named a Dodger, they will be the best team in baseball and be the favorite in Vegas, favorite in the public's eye, favorite in the writer's eyes. They will be Everyone will be picking them to win the World Series in 2020. And, Brad, we were talking when the trade went through. You know, losing Kenta Maeda, he pitched out of the bullpen in the playoffs this past year. That's not really a huge loss for the Dodgers. Maybe just highlighted a little bit more because Hoonjin Ryu leaves and goes to Toronto in the offseason. But still, a lot of young arms in the system, so that loss doesn't hurt as much. And really, the only sizable loss, obviously, is Alex Verdugo, a guy we saw play here in Great Lakes. Um, plays a great outfield and had some potential with the bat, but still probably not, well, most most likely not going to reach the Mookie Betts level. So losing him to, to pick up a guy like this is, is okay in the Dodgers' eyes. Yeah, so fish through all of that kind of useless stuff. Kenta Maeda, who cares? Uh, I'm trying not to just belittle Kenta Maeda. He's a pretty I understand. good pitcher. He's a good pitcher, but they've got like, 10 starters on their Correct. 40 man that like that's why it doesn't hurt yeah they have too many starters and they have guys like caleb ferguson and julio rios and tony gonsolin who like haven't Justin even may yeah like so many guys that can start it it, it truly does not matter now th- this is just fascinating and i forget where the piece was but there there's a national baseball writer who's who just put this into context and there just truly isn't there's never been a deal like this 
in terms of there's there's no reference, there's no comparison for moving a guy like Mookie Betts for a return this small. Like there's just no example of this in the history of the sport that you move I think the second best hitter in all of baseball, the second best position player in all of baseball for no prospects. Mm-hmm. And to do it because you're a major market team who doesn't want to spend money is even more absurd. Mm. And there are some super smart baseball types that are like, well, you know, some GMs think this was a good move for the Red Sox. They've invested too much money and too few guys recently, and they had to make a move. And it's like, yeah, but the move is not moving off of one of the best outfielders of the last two decades. Uh, It can't be understated how good he is. And for them to just move him... And look, Alex Verdugo is not nothing. The prospect that they got from the Twins is fine. He's He was a top 100 prospect. He's the number three guy in the Twins system. He's battled injuries for years. He's like legitimately 270 pounds. He may not throw in the bigs ever. And, and that's one of the reasons why this deal is John Heyman last night saying that it's not complete yet. But what the Red Sox did, like, as a fan of that organization, and I understand what this ownership group has done for that team. It's won them four titles. The ownership group has won them four titles, and that should not be understated how well they've done after the long drought. Like, Boston wanted one, and they got four in two decades. Mm-hmm. Absurd. But this move is inexcusable to do to a fan base. A guy that grew in your system, one of the best players in baseball, best players of decades in your organization. Isn't a disgruntled player. Likes and, playing in Boston. And wants to be there. And at 27 years old, you give him up for almost nothing. Yeah. Uh, for a pitcher that some scouts and some medics will say may not pitch in the bigs. And for a guy in Alex Verdugo, say what you will about how good he was in the minors, hasn't hit in the majors yet. And most other organizations don't like him off the field. Mm-hmm. We know he was a a high-energy, kind of flamboyant kid when he was here at 18. Most scouts don't like that guy. Mm -hmm. And the Dodgers knew he couldn't hit in the majors yet, hadn't done it, and they're loaded in the outfield. Mm -hmm. And there's some stuff off the field that, like, isn't fully there with him. Mm -hmm. And that's what the Dodgers just got bets for. It's, It's absurd. Okay. Absurd. And it is. And Mookie Betts, a former MVP, you know, a guy that is is not a once-in-a-generation talent, maybe like a Mike Trout, but he's up there, and he is very, very good. And for the Dodgers to go get a guy like him uh, to show their fans yet again, we're going for it. We know we're good, and we know there's the potential we won't be this good in a year or two. We're going to go try and do it. Now, the question I do want to ask is what Blake brought up 30 seconds in. If this is a one-year rental, it's still worth it. It's still worth it if Mookie Betts walks at the end of the year and the Dodgers can win a World Series. This is one if they, if they win the World Series. Yeah, if they get, well, if they get there and they lose again, obviously it's a failure. It is it is World Series or bust with this franchise. They have achieved everything you can achieve as a Major League Baseball franchise without winning a World Series. They have been one of the best teams in baseball over the last five years. If they win a World Series, hundred percent worth it. And even if they don't and Mookie Betts walks, and we get a year of Mookie Betts with the Dodgers in that lineup, and we get to watch that for five months, it may still be worth it. But I think that's the point that I'm making, and I think you agree, and Brad, I would assume you agree. For $27 million to lose Verdugo and Maeda, you get some of these young guys that can show their stuff, and hopefully one or two of them are high-end starters in the rotation. 
it doesn't matter that you lost these two guys. Absolutely. And you also have Cody Bellinger, who's maybe the other best outfielder in the majors. Mm -hmm. So if you lose Mookie Betts, it's like, oh no, we've got another MVP, you know, waiting right there as well. So it's not like your franchise collapses if Mookie Betts leaves. It's, It's the perfect situation for the Dodgers to be in. I, and you mentioned, Brad, how there's no comparison for a guy this good to receive so little in a trade. Has there been an MVP in his age 27 right. season to be traded? Like, guys don't, you don't, you don't trade those guys. Yeah, uh, again, exactly. I can't think of one. It's not an understatement to say... You overpay to keep them. Like, that's what everybody does. Right. That's except, the goal except of the being Red in Sox baseball. overpaid to keep David Price, who hates Boston, like, yeah. hates the city, and overpaid to keep Nathan Eovaldi, who sucks, former loon. Ouch. And, and like, that's why they needed to move him. It, it just, the ownership group there won them four championships. Mm-hmm. I think, I think I heard Bill Simmons say this, that ownership group is going to sell the team in the next year. Hmm. And this is a move that t- like, we're showing our cards. We've had this investment for 20 years. We've turned it into as big of a sports franchise across the globe. We're not paying the luxury tax to keep one of the, like the best Boston Red Sox since Ted Williams like, we're not keeping him, we're, we're going to sell the team. And, like, if that's true, that's fine. But you just you just told the entire city of Boston to screw off mm. by trading their guy. Mm-hmm. Like, trading trading a guy that if he finishes his career with you is Big Poppy, is Ted Williams, yeah. is Yaz, yeah. is, like... Mm-hmm. In, in a world where Mike Trout doesn't exist, Mookie Betts is the best player in all of baseball for five to ten years. Mm. And it's just crazy that that you just give him up... Now, to the point of not re-signing him, the Dodgers. That is true. The Dodgers don't sign those deals, right? Like, they, they don't do it. Mm-hmm. But they're going to have to do it with Bellinger, unless you're saying they're not going to do it with him. Right. right. Well, my point was they're not going to re-sign Bo- uh, Betts because then you can't, give, you can't have two $400 million players, and, can you? And what I'm saying is, <laughs> if the Red Sox are not going to pay someone $400 million, who in the majors is? I don't know if anybody will. Are there $400 million players in the bigs? Mike Trout is already... Sure, but have we reached a bubble in the market? And has it has it hit with like the fact that Boston says, "Shoot, well, we can't pay a guy four hundred million." It's like you're the freaking Boston Red Sox. Like your ownership group literally owns every building around the entire city of Boston. Like, if you're not paying him four hundred million, who is? Who is? Yeah. And does that mean the price is three hundred million, or is it just a shorter contract? Mm-hmm. Are right. we going towards maybe maybe he makes forty two million dollars per year? But maybe over five years, right? Like I think we're ten. I think we're past the point of, and it didn't take long. It was only like a like how many guys got those deals? Like Bryce got that deal. Nolan Arenado. Like what are the big deals recently? I mean, not following baseball. Machado. Tightly. Machado got the big Rendon. deal. Rendon. Sure, and Betts is better than all those guys. Mm-hmm. But there might have reached a bubble here where like we know how much that hampers teams. We're seeing it with Cabrera in Detroit. And we saw it with JV, how they needed to move off his contract. Like, I don't, I think baseball teams are just smart enough now to where like, oh, you want 10 years, 420 million? Okay, yeah, we're good. Mm-hmm. Even if they're the red, the freaking Red Sox. Yeah, but I do think if if the Dodgers do want to stick to their guns and, and not flinch on their philosophy, I could easily see Mookie Betts coming in at three years, 120 million. Say, all right, we're going to keep you for three more years. We're going to try and yes. win two more. That would be fine. And That's we're gonna, a great we're gonna, point. And we're going to pay you 100 and 
forty million dollars. Be- you're going to make forty five million dollars a year, but only for three years. Because who's they, who'd they offer that to? Was Machado that they were in on that ended up with the Padres? Yeah. That the, the Padres gave him way too much. That deal's going to suck at the end of it. Yep. It's a Miguel Cabrera contract. And and the Dodgers, I think, very similarly were like, we'll, we'll give you more annually. In fact, a lot more annually, but it's going to be for like half the years. Yep. And they may do the same thing with bets. We'll give you $45 million a year. We'll give you $50 million a year for three years. We're going to make you the highest paid player in baseball and we're gonna win. And we're going to win two or three titles. And we're going to go three in a row. Yeah. <laughs> like that very well could be the case, but... Mm-hmm. I don't think they make this move. I mean, they they, they make this move because they gave up nothing well, to get him. There, there is, finish your thought, but there's one more thing I do want to get to with like that. Like, they make this move even if he says, like, they make this move at the trade deadline of this upcoming year yeah. if it means he'll be there the rest mm-hmm. of the season. But it, it just, even if he goes, they, they just didn't give anything up. You lose Jack Peterson, though. Does that mean anything? I mean, he's... He's a pretty good big league outfielder. Sure, separate deal and only to free up space. I know, but I mean, that that can't be lost in this. They didn't just give up Verdugo and Maeda. They also gave up Peterson and Stripling. They gave up four big leaguers, essentially. Ross Stripling was not going to throw in their rotation this year. He He's like an Oklahoma City Dodger for life, based on who's starting there. And then saying? Jock... Jock is a good hitter, good baseball player. But one, he was their leadoff guy, and now Mookie is. Mookie's the best leadoff hitter in baseball. Right. So where right. do you move Jock? Yep. And sure, he could bat sixth or seventh. But... Dodgers, again, want to platoon a lot of positions. Yeah. So they now have a platoon in left with Bellinger and Betts in center and right. Mm-hmm. And then they can keep platooning second with Lux and Chris Taylor and Kike and whoever else they want. And at third base, Jacob uh, Justin Turner's getting older. They can platoon that a little bit. If they had kept Jock, they're tied into three outfield spots, and that's just not like them. Mm-hmm. It's essentially an upgrade from Jock to Mookie, and it's like, oh, we give up Alex Verdugo, a guy who wasn't going to play for us in our future ever? Yeah. yeah, that's fine. You also have to compare these guys that they're losing to what – a World Series roster yeah. will look like because yeah. that's the only thing that matters. Last yeah. thing, I've never agreed with the Dodgers have to win a World Series or bust. I've just never agreed with it. Even after this move? Correct. Because we just, uh, again, they haven't given up anything. They still have a top five farm system in all of baseball. Like what's scary about the Dodgers, right? They're going to go into the deadline. They need an arm. They're going to get the best arm on the market. Mm-hmm. Because they're already going to have the best record in baseball and they're going to say, we've got Bueller and Kershaw. Yeah, we're just going to go get a Garrett Cole guy. Matt Boyd! Like, yeah. <laughs> They're just going to go get the best guy in the market, and it's going to be absurd when they give up so, two of their top five prospects, and even after getting bets and a Cy Young guy, they're going to have a top 10 farm system. It's going to be absurd. But, like, the point of the point of all sports, right, is to year in and year out compete for titles. Sure, it's to win titles, 100%. But the Dodgers' philosophy for years has been, we're going to do everything right, and we're going to be World Series contenders every single season, no doubt. Because that's where the money comes. Playoff tickets, it comes from World Series merchandise. And I don't know if you necessarily have to win it for your fan base to be extremely happy. Because guess who's a happy fan base? A fan base that's playing in the World Series every year. Got to win one. I think you have to win one. at least you can't. one. That's one. fine. They haven't done it yet. I'm not saying they have I, to win five World Series in the next 10 no years. No one is saying that. they got to win one. I just think it's, I think it's really, really trolly. I think it's extremely troll for any fan base to say, well, they haven't done it yet. Like, for any fan base to just be like, well, they haven't done it yet. Isn't well, there a little bit of Talk to me about your fan base. Like, they've a, been in the World Series, like, five times. Like, it, what do you want? But hasn't there, isn't there just a little hint of dissatisfaction when you look back? 100%. 100%. That's our but point. But if it takes 10 years for them to get to World Series... For the nine years leading up, I'm never going to be like, well, you got to do it. Like, we know it's coming. Like, they're going to spend more than everyone. Right, but I'm they're saying... They're going to scout better than everyone. If this era ends without a World Series title, I think that's a failure. 
It's a disappointment. I would agree. I would agree. Mm-hmm. But to say, well, they got to do it. Wow. Otherwise, I'm not going to, you know, they still suck, you know? No, no one's saying that they suck. It's like, okay, like, the front office is going to tell Dave Roberts, what else do we need to do, man? Like, I guess I guess me saying that is rooted in... Every- also, the Astros cheated, so... Okay, wow. <laughs> thought that was going to be like a Jeff Epstein drop there. Whoa! <laughs> the, But... For like how many years now have we said at the deadline or in the offseason, they gotta do it this year. They gotta do it this oh, they traded for uh they traded for you Darvish. This is the year. It's like, no, because every year they've got a top five farm system, they've got a top five record, and they're competing in the World Series. So them getting bets doesn't need to be, oh, well, they gotta do it this year. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. because if they resign them, they'll do it. And if not, they'll still win hundred games next year. And maybe not win the World Series. So compare, <laughs> so compare them to the Tigers from the last decade. Like the Tigers were great. I mean, they, compare they were, them to a Double A team. What do you want me to do here? Stop. Okay. Stop. The Tigers. Compare them to the Maglio Ordonez oh, Tigers. Oh. They were great. They were a lot of fun. We all had a lot of fun watching Tigers baseball for a great run. Went to a couple World Series. Didn't win one. Was that a failure? I would say overall, yes. See? It so, was fun. But you didn't achieve the ultimate goal. So the Tigers made the World Series twice in that stretch? Yeah. Different apples and oranges a little bit. I get that. Yeah, it was two different kind of eras, right? I know. I know. They weren't dominant like the Dodgers are, right. but they were there. And now as Tigers fans, we hate ourselves because they stink. Right. Because I think it's because of how the Tigers got there, whereas they where they they went all in. Yeah. There was, was never like, a long vision. There was no long vision. So if they whenever that was going to end, win or lose you knew things were going to go down in a hurry. So, like, if the Tigers had won in 2012 or 2013 and then this happened, oh, you'd be like, all right, you're we're paying good. for we it now, it. but yep. we're okay. We right. And that's, I think, the point I was making. And Andrew, like, and Andrew Friedman will never do that with the Dodgers. He will never punish them to that degree. He will never say, no, because he's not we're Dave Dombrowski. He's, giving not, up a, he's not a bad GM. We're giving up Lux. We're giving up Bueller to get Mookie Betts. Then you're like... What? Yeah, that, Excuse me? We're so giving the, up what? The Tigers' run was a little different because the year that they went to the World Series in 06, they didn't make the playoffs for like 30 years before that and 10 that, years I after. I see that as two different eras. Yeah. It just helps But the second localize. era was only four years of playoffs in a row. That was it. And only one World Series berth. Like, it wasn't nearly the run that the Dodgers are on. Right, but yeah. it was just the trying first, to localize it. It right? was the first comparison that came into that's my head. That's fair. No, that's 100% fair. How did picks end up for the season? Uh, How did Blake to? do picking the Super Bowl? Uh, 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 there's a big basketball game in the state tomorrow. We are we going to do any that. NBA trade deadline? Here? No. What? What do you want? All of it. No. We have no time. We've been going for an hour, haven't we, Baker? And he's been silent in there like a <laughs> saint for an hour. <laughs> we, we're at an hour. All right, well, let's right cut now. to break. we got a little bit of NBA trade no. deadline after this. No, Maybe after no. after this weekend in Michigan sports. Okay. Okay. We'll okay. give him two minutes or something. Mm, 30 seconds. On the other side, quick hits. Final segment here on the Offseason Podcast. We're on ESPN 100.9 FM. Presented by Line and Kugels and distributed by JPL Sullivan. Get yourself a Snowdrift Vanilla Porter from our friends at Line and Kugels. Been doing it since 1867. Distributed Matt locally by JPL Sullivan. That's I said right. That. All right. Double dip there. Yeah. Get the double mention. Yeah. That's good. Our Didn't boys downstairs will be happy with that. Didn't even pay for it. Uh,. Matt DeVries, Blake Froling, Brad Tunney around the table. Josh Baker, our producer. We'll bring Josh in and feature him a little bit more in the segment. He's been a, a trooper nah. sitting through all the basketball and, and all the Michigan State stuff. You hair, probably, looks good. hair still looks good, Baker. Thanks, man. Yeah. He got good. the shout-out as hair slash bake sauce on the Northwood broadcast last night. Who called him bake sauce? Uh, Travis McCurdy. Because I always call him that, and Travis loves it. <laughs> loves it. Bake sauce. 
Josh K Baker on Twitter for uh for Josh. And the the DJ name, we'll give you a quick shout out. It's Buchaka. Buchaka, there Come it on. is. Everybody knows that. I wanted Let's him go. to say it. I knew it. I wanted him to say it. Mm. Quick hits, and we lead off quick hits with a wrap up of pick six. How did we do in Super Bowl picks? I don't know. Hmm. What do we got here? Brad went three and three. Uh, decent week. Uh, I went three and three as well. Jonathan Deutsch, our guest, went two and six. Tough. Blake went zero and six. You had eight picks. Tough. How do you have eight picks? Yeah. Oh, because you got the extra bonus if you got one of the two bonus right. So he went zero and six. You weren't punished if you got it wrong. Sorry. Here we go. He went two and four. <laughs> That's my mistake. I always mess up one thing in picks yeah. every time. So the math is usually wrong. Uh. Two and four. Uh. It's a Granville education. Oh, wow! My mom, my mom works in the public school system. <laughs> Cutting down there deep too. to the high school. <laughs> it's a shot at Rebecca Louise DeVries down there. That's Some tough. of the best cookies I've ever had. She does uh, cook a mean chocolate chip cookie. Bake a, a mean chocolate. Chip. Okay, uh, Brad won the picks, fifty-nine and fifty-one. Oh, well really? I won the picks. Mm-hmm. Wow. We were all in the money though. Right? What was my overall? What was my overall record? Fifty-nine and fifty-one. Wow. Uh, I went 57 and 52, a big wow. resurgence over the last couple of weeks for me to take second place. Back up. 59, 51. The extras, man. The extras. 57, 52. That just throws everything. I know. Off. I enjoy it. And uh, you went 56 and 54. I'll so take you got a that. bonus. I will take Blake that. Blake in last place. Wow. You got Pat Mahomes as the MVP. It was the only thing you got. Let's right. go. If you would have done that, if I would have done what you did in the final weeks, you'd be doing this right now. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised you're not. I would choking. Call, I would call that a choke. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's all you got. That's all I get. I don't want to. Okay. I don't want to. Do don't want to dance on the yeah. grave. Okay. He's a winner. Uh, Brad, the latest with Northwood basketball. We lead off quick hits. I'll uh, defer to Blake, who's four and zero with them the last week. That's right. I was at their last four games. Okay. Which were where? Uh, home versus Northern Michigan last Saturday. Mm-hmm. Two wins and swept. Northern Michigan and Michigan Tech on the same weekend for the first time since 1987. Okay. Great note from Travis McCurdy. That's T-Mac for you, going back into the archives. So that was a big weekend for Northwood. They followed it up on Thursday night, going up to Lake Superior State and getting two wins there as well. For the women, that puts them back into the GLIAC tournament conversation. For the men, as of right now, they take sole possession of seventh place okay. in the GLIAC. They were tied with Lake Superior State, which is why this was such a big game. So they go on the road, get two wins. And they've swept the season series with Lake State now, mm-hmm. as, I, as Travis said uh, when I was listening. So that that's huge for tiebreakers tie when it comes to the end of the season as mm-hmm. well. So a very strong position as it stands right now for the men in the uh, GLIAC tournament picture. Yes. One, one more note on that, too. Sets up. It continues to set up a big matchup with Saginaw Valley State at the end of the year, which mm-hmm. is always nice that that has bigger meaning than it already does. SVSU 8-6 and six in the conference right now, Northwood 7-7. Seven and seven. Hmm. Uh, There are three teams tied in the spot above Northwood. So, I mean, a win here or there vaults you from... Could host. Y- right. Well, yeah. I mean, if you end up as the four instead you of the seven, you would host. And that's, I mean, that's big. Yeah. And you avoid those top-end teams as well. If you can get right. in that 4-5, or five, that's, uh, that's huge. Um, the other quick hit before we get to the game itself is, uh, is Xavier Simpson. Uh, I'll unleash it, Sparties. No, no, I'm not Come going on to. Now. This, is, this is a college kid making a mistake, and we don't even really know the full story yet, but he crashed Ward Manuel's wife's car on January 26. I don't remember what the weather was that night, but he says it was icy or due to conditions. The weird part is he crashed it at 3 in the morning, Ooh. so that's not great. Uh, and then he lied to police about it, mm. um, used a fake name, which was... 
Cassius Winston. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. <laughs> that would have been really funny. That would have been so good. And there were there were a couple good pictures I saw Trey online Burke. that were pretty funny. <laughs> I'm Trey Burke. Uh, Jeff Jackson. Jeff Jackson. That's right. <laughs> this um, sounds like a fake name. He was suspended for a game, but then came back for their win against Rutgers. And he played against Ohio State, right? And he's playing tomorrow. Like, there's no reason that he's not going to play, right? This is all... No, he'll play. This is all minor. Yeah, it's, I mean... He crashed a car. Not a great look. To lie about it, not Lying great. Lying about it, also not great. But is this like a this ban is, him from the team offense? No. Right. This is... It's just... Well, they wait tried. a second here. Wait a second here. Stop. It was Ward Manuel's wife's car, right? Yep. So when he and got Ward, suspended... When he got suspended suspiciously for that game, yep. nobody had the news on it. Mm-hmm. And then why, why didn't Michigan just come out and say what happened? Because it's embarrassing. I think they were hoping nobody would find out. It sounds like it was... Everyone finds out everything. Okay, so Ward Manuel's son is a manager on the team. Yeah. So most likely he just borrowed the son's car. Sure. Not thinking about it as Ward Manuel's wife's car. And what are we doing at 3.30? And what are we doing at 3.30? Nothing good ever happens after midnight. I thought we were going to unleash the dogs here. I need Mike Ryan's dirty demon of debate right now to just swoop in. What are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is a bad look. If we knew this right away, what what should, should the punishment have been? No games, right? No games? Well, I mean, you're just a college kid and you hit a you, so, you get so into a car accident. If you knew Why this, is that suspended? Probably because, because it was the your, 80s because car. Because it's not your car. And That's, I'm sure there were other things at play, possibly. Ooh, well, I don't know. We're not going to speculate. We do not, don't want to speculate. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, think, people, I think it was the lying to the police part. Okay. If you crash the car, you're okay. honest about it saying, I messed up. Whatever. Okay. Using a fake name is a little weird. Using a fake name, lying to the police about it. So this is not that, as big of a deal as Twitter.com is telling me. Well, I think the problem some people are having is that there's really there's really been no investigation on it except for MLive, mm-hmm. who finally dug up the story, mm-hmm. and some Michigan State slaps, Ooh. I will call them slaps, oh, yeah. because they are slaps, Absolutely. have made the comparison to the free press running continuous front page sports section stories about LJ Scott getting a traffic violation for like speeding. He was also driving with a suspended license. Driving with a suspended license. Four other times. And a bad football player. Helped them win a Big Ten title, so I don't think he's a bad football player. Above average. Okay, all right. Certainly not living up to expectations. Sure, fair enough. Also left early when he probably should. (laughs) Also turned down Ohio State to go to Michigan State, speaking about the ceiling of the program. Speaking of Luke Fickle. That's a huge mistake. Speaking of Luke Fickle. There is a basketball game at noon on Saturday. MSU's lost two in a row after Michigan beat a top 25 Rutgers team. Good win at home. They lost at home to Ohio State midweek, so... Both programs reeling. Michigan four and seven right now in the standings, but still rivalry on the table. What do you got? At one point, very hard to lose at home in the Big Ten. Kind of hard to win at home in the Big Ten now, huh? Nobody knows what's going on. I know. Is the Big Ten really good, or is everybody just above average? (laughs) Brad trying to show like he cares about Big Ten basketball. I think both fan bases are very anxious and frustrated. Oh yeah, more so for Michigan, obviously. I mean, I don't know. I don't think they thought they would go four and seven. Sure. Yes. In conference play. Preseason, maybe. Then you beat Gonzaga. Expectations change. Expectations recalibrate. Then it goes back to maybe where we thought they would be. Moving target. That is frustrating. It's a moving target. For Michigan State, (laughs) you just don't know. You just don't know what to expect, you know? Is this team the number one team in the nation, or do they deserve to be unranked? It just changes on the day. They lose to your Nittany Lions. That's a bad loss. Oh, whoa, whoa. 
yeah. programs programs pretty good these days. It's on the rise, but still at home. Your Michigan State, Penn State has beaten you exactly how many times at the Breslin Center? I didn't watch the game. Once. Okay. In their history. Pat, Pat Chambers got a good group coming. So it was a bad loss for the program. I always I don't think either program is happy coming into Saturday. I always refer to Pat Chambers as Tom Chambers because of the former NBA guy. Right. But then I Pat Chambers looks like a guy <laughs> who should be bald. But he's not. Mm. Just saying. He's On got the facial note, and head structure of someone who should shave their head. His hair is fine, but it looks like a strength coach. Get us uh, get us going and get us ready for the weekend, Baker. All right, this weekend in Michigan sports, Pistons are in Oklahoma City tonight facing the Thunder. How good can their number one round pick get over the next two months? Number one round. <laughs> first round. I, saw, I read number one pick and then went, no, it's first round. To How clear, good can their first write, round I, pick get over the next two months? Yeah, to be clear, I didn't make the mistake of the way I wrote it. Uh, <laughs> that's a f- yeah, sometimes they'll fall on me because I write them and Baker reads them. But yep. uh, Brad mentioned this briefly in the first segment. Um, you think they can get as high as the third best odds in the lottery? Okay, so right now they're four and a half games up on Atlanta, who has the third best odds, the third worst record in the league. And I think Atlanta has gotten better, mm-hmm. addition of Clint Compella. Uh, Minnesota has obviously gotten better, addition to uh, D'Lo. Uh, nope. Charlotte's just going to pass them up because Detroit's gotten worse and Charlotte cares a little too much. Uh, and then Chicago, they're tied right now. Pistons are worse. I, I mean, I, that's four teams. I think they could easily get to five. I think easily five. They could get to four, and in the outside chance of getting to three, and that's all you want. You want to get to three because then you have equal odds. Top three, or the bottom three teams each have 14%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the NBA will rig it where the Pistons won't get the first pick, but sure. they'll still be up there near the top. What did you say? <laughs> said Cavs are cool. going to get the number one I was pick. Say, who are the who are the right now? It's Golden State one, Cleveland two, Atlanta three. Oh yeah, they're going to give Golden State the number one pick for sure. Get Lamelo out there in Golden State. Come on, why would they draft Lamelo? Because he's probably going to be the first overall pick. No, Anthony Maybe. Edwards. Maybe our guy. Maybe Wiseman. Baker next. Mm, I don't like the Red Wings still have a 13-point lead on the number one pick in the 2020 NHL draft. Okay, so uh, I think last week we uh, we brought up this guy that everyone's projecting the Red Wings are going to pick with the first overall pick, um, this Alexis Lafreniere. Do you know anything about this guy? Uh, he's a stud in the QMJHL, and he just got 20, uh, the World Juniors Hockey uh, tournament MVP when Canada just won gold. Okay, give me the player comp. So he, yeah, the is player he, comp. Is he like the next Connor McDavid? Wayne Gretzky. Uh, I don't know. I think he's more of a more nitty gritty, tougher guy. Go so to the bad. net. He's bad. No, he's just he's still a skill guy. It's just he doesn't play like Connor McDavid. Right. More like a Johan Franzen. I would not say that whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> like a Marcus Morris. Okay. Uh, next. The Saginaw Spirit are still in second place in the OHL's Western Conference with 62 points. They are two points behind the London Knights. Yeah, London leapfrogged the Spirit to take over the first spot, and the Kitchener Rangers are now in the third spot. But still, Saginaw Spirit, steady Eddie, going to be in a good spot uh, whenever the uh, regular season ends in the the next month or two, heading into the playoff stretch. Mm. Next. The CMU women are off to a 10-0 start in MAC play. Michaela Kelly is front runner for MAC player of the year. She absolutely is. Molly Davis had an off night, and the CMU women had an off night midweek against Northern Illinois, a team that 
was 6-13 and coming into that game, but they still made their way through it, uh, got a big win, and now I think they've got Miami this weekend. So uh, still 10-0, and their best start to MAC play in their program's history is 12-0, and so two games away from tying that mark under first-year head coach Heather Osterley. The men have won three in a row and are 6-2. and two. They're on national TV tonight at Buffalo on ESPNU. That tipped off at 9 p.m. That's right. So you can hear Adam Jackson and Chris Jarrett on the Chippewa Sports Network wherever you listen to CMU basketball, our friends there. And 6-2, uh, and two, you know, I think uh, you know, as good as you can expect from, from CMU, they, they beat Miami, or I th- maybe it was Ball State recently, but they did beat Bowling Green, who was previously in first place in the Mid-American Conference, on mm. their home floor this week. So their game got flexed into national television tonight, originally supposed to be played on Saturday. So a big opportunity for the men tonight. What's your, what do you got? I've got something from Brett McMurphy. Most players... The guy who crushed uh, Urban Meyer. Okay. Yeah. Most players invited to the NFL Combine. LSU leads with 16. Uh, then it's Michigan and Ohio State with 11. Mm. Alabama, Georgia with 10. Mm. Auburn, Notre Dame, Utah, 9. Utah, good for them. Florida and Miami, eight, and Clemson and Michigan State, seven. Wow, so just really tons of NFL talent in East Lansing. Just saying. That was worthy of being read. We use that instead of NBA trade deadline You get time. two minutes. Go ahead. Just saying. What, do you, what, what trade were you most intrigued by this week? Hmm, that is a good one. I like the <laughs> D'Lo Wiggins trade. All right. For more from the pers- I'm more intrigued from the perspective of the Warriors. Okay. Because... Everybody's saying, oh, you know, you put Andrew Wiggins in the Warrior system, he'll be fine. But is there a system for Andrew Wiggins? Is Steph in the still NBA? out? Like, is he done for the year? Yeah. He should be. Yeah. Okay. They might try to squeak him back in for March. But there would just be no purpose to that. Okay. If they want the number one pick. I thought that was interesting. I thought they, the deal was great for the Warriors as long as he just takes a step back and plays like the Harrison Barnes role. But. It's almost like they made that deal, and then they were like, oh, crap, he makes $30 million a exactly. year. It hand ties us. Like, they f- totally forgot about the salary number with it. Well, they didn't forget. But, I mean, I know, he's but making like, Durant money, and he's going to be a worse yeah. Harrison Barnes. So, I don't know. He's also just an asset to move when his contract's up in two years. That, like, for what? He's just, a, he's just a contract. I think for any other team, there's no way Andrew Wiggins is getting you back him, yeah. D-Lo. Yeah. So, this was 100% a win for the Timberwolves. What do you think about the Rockets now? The Rockets, interesting. Everybody six foot six or beat shorter. the Lakers last night. Your Lakers. Mm-hmm. Some people. Bill Simmons says he's out on the. Rockets. I think they're more interesting to watch when everybody's playing one way and they're like, "No, nah, we're just going to play like we're going to play some guy I've never heard of, uh, Ian Hardenstein at our center position." Harston, come on, everybody knows him. Who? Me. And what? Uh, uh, what trade interested you the most? Uh, intrigued you the most can't pick Andrew Wiggins I would pick that one I think I I think the well first of all I get asked about the Marcus Morris deal the most because Lakers connection to that they didn't want to give up Kuzma to get him which I think is fair I think honestly I think I'd rather have Kuzma than Morris and somehow the Knicks were asking for Kuzma in that deal uh, so he ends up going to the Clippers and I just don't know if it's a great deal for the Clippers like sure they gave up a first and Mo Harkless they were going to have to move like that was the package that they were going to move for something I don't know if Morris makes them 100% better. Uh, they need like a facilitator guy instead of like a ball stopper guy. Darren Collison. And if Darren Collison ends up with the Lakers, I'm fairly confident that they win the title. I think he's that good of a piece and a difference maker. But Marcus Morris just feels like a guy that like ends up taking a shot with a minute left and you're like, 
We've got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. What are you doing shooting the basketball? He just always feels like a guy that's going to shoot you out of a game. Marcus Morris in the 2017-18 playoffs, <laughs> which some consider, according to this guy, one of the best runs in NBA history. Marcus Morris guarded LeBron seven games, mm -hmm. 129 possessions. LeBron shot 36% from the field mm -hmm. and 20% from three. Mm. And now they have him and Kawhi. Have you seen that already? Did you know that already? He told me this morning he couldn't get it off his chest quick enough. <laughs> oh, it was good. I don't know if offensively they make them any better. And Marcus Morris shoots 43% from three this year. No, I understand that for the Knicks. And historically, he's just not that guy. I don't know. I mean, he's fine. Does he play in their final five, though? Like, their final five is still Lou, Trez, uh, with Pat Bev, and those and Kawhi and PG. Like, Marcus Morris isn't there to guard LeBron. Provide a stopgap so maybe Kawhi doesn't have to play 48 minutes a game. Yeah. Maybe he takes a, a game off in the playoffs. Playoff load management. Talk for, to me about D'Lo and uh, Carl Anthony Towns. The friends. Now yeah. you just need Devin Booker to go up to Minnesota. They'd be good if they got Booker. They're still bad now. Well, yeah, of course they'd be right. better if they got Devin Booker. What were you most intrigued by, NBA trade deadline? Com Andre Drummond. <laughs> the Capella deal to the Hawks? Clint why, do, why do they do that? Clint Capella's value is just The Hawks tanked. are bad. Why do they want to get better? Because that's a front office that is going to, for decades... That's the Blake Griffin move from last year? No, just they're already trying to convince their fan base that they didn't make the wrong move trading Luka. You remember, you remember on this podcast talking about Luka before the draft? Mm -hmm. How he's like the most sure thing ever... And they traded for Trey Young instead of drafting Luca. Mm. And it was just now they're just Trey Young's pretty good. He's nothing close to Luca. Like like we'll never be close to Luca. And is this Luka is kind of be better than Dirk. Not just because he plays in Dallas, but like yeah, because yeah. he's German. Because he's not also not. not I mean, I think else. so. I don't know if it's premature to say that. Like Dirk's a top twenty guy all time, twenty five. Like is Luca going to be a top twenty five guy all time? I if you put a gun to my head right now, I'd probably say yes. Hmm. Will he stay healthy? Right. But, uh, yeah, just I think that's just a move to be like, oh, Trey needs help, and our and our owner doesn't like us winning seven games in the first five <laughs> months of the year, then, yeah, okay. Do you remember when the, the Mavs got Chris Stapps to pair with Luka and everyone was freaking out, and now it's like, no, Luka's fine on his own, right? Like, he doesn't need another big man with him to help. Yeah, and they're, they, like, wanted a center at the deadline. Yeah. I mean, went and got Willie Cauley-Stein. Hmm. A, a beast. Trill. Any other trades we missed there? I think that's enough. Hornets stayed put? Or not the Hornets, the Thunder, or the Pelicans? <laughs> just loose. <laughs> Wants to just keep going, just doesn't want it to end. What do you think? I think we're done. All right. Coming up this week, Michigan, Michigan State on Saturday on the radio station. That's at noon. Northwood Ferris. We'll get one of those games on the air, the other on the deuce at ESPN1009.com. And then we wrap up our Saturday night triple header of basketball, Pistons Knicks. On Saturday night on 100.9 FM. Uh, last one, Heat getting Iguodala and Jay Crowder. It was Can nice. you say Andre Iguodala's name? Iguodala. He cannot. How about our Memphis Grizzlies? That core looking nice now. Are you a Justice Winslow guy? I'm just saying it's an upside move for them. Iguodala did oh. not want to play for I don't them. Know, like, I love Justice Winslow. I think he's a star. I don't know if he's going to be a star, but I think he's better than having Iguodala sit on his yeah. couch every night instead of playing. You lock up Dylan Brooks for a very team-friendly deal. That's right. Dylan Brooks is nice. Jaron Jackson turning into one of the best young bigs I asked in you about the, the Heat, though. Where do the Heat fall in the East now? Uh, they're probably three. Behind the Raptors? Probably the Raptors still. Wow. And the Bucks. 
I it doesn't my, matter because the Bucks are going to win, but... Unless, I guess. I think Miami's two now. I think they're two. Okay. If the Sixers could ever figure themselves out, they would... Cleveland Browns in the NBA, according to Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley. And I a, tend to agree. A known idiot. Uh, nothing real local on Sunday, but we get back to it on Monday, Northwood Coaches Show, and then Florida State Duke on the air after that Northwood Coaches Show. Michigan State, Illinois is featured on Tuesday. Lakers Nuggets on Wednesday. That's big for us. Yeah. And Nuggets, uh, they move away from Malik Beasley. <laughs> Beasley. That's the move you want to talk about? They got a uh, Kate Jop. Kate Bates Diop. Yep. I combined his first name and his <laughs> what last name. What the heck was that? <laughs> Save that one, Baker. Uh... Can you say that again? You think the Nuggets are real? I mean, what is real? Everybody else besides the Lakers or Clippers is just going to play for runner-up. All right. All right. And uh, then uh, New dog for you, Matt. How's it going? Yeah, well, Northwood Davenport on Thursday to wrap it up. You'll be down uh, in GR for that. That uh, was kind of your trade deadline acquisition, though, new dog. Yeah, yep. Uh, bit of a rocky start, I guess, to, to be frank. Uh, my, Always rocky, though. My first uh, Our first dog, Memphis, football, is a... Football is a dachshund. She's nine pounds. She's very little. She like a football. Co- very cold. Gets cold easily. And then you put an intimidating 20-pound uh, Cocker Spaniel Beagle mix into the into the mix, so to speak. And Memphis is uh, treading water right now, kind of mm. unsure with how how the atmosphere in the house is. But Daisy is a, is a year old. We adopted her. And uh, I, we love her. She's great. She's a really great dog. It's just Kind of worried about the original pup, and hopefully she's going to come through. But. Daisy the alpha right now. I was just going to say. Definitely. Big time alpha. But any dog can be an alpha with Memphis in the room. She's literally nine pounds. She's yeah. very little. Sometimes so. it's about attitude. Sometimes yeah. the smallest dogs have the biggest attitude. And Memphis, uh, very timid. So right. not a good combination. So they'll work itself out. They'll work themselves out. I mean. Any any playing yet? Any uh... well, Lots of playing, but I mean. then Still working out the team chemistry. Daisy yeah. takes it too far. There's a there's a yelp of I'm very excited and then Memphis is like I'm not having this so okay I still got no support from my from my group here though you guys haven't came and seen her yet haven't received an invite I just got a new dog a couple months ago and we kept people away for a week you know I was I didn't want to impose myself okay but I will love to come and see (laughs) I'll bring the boop squad wow four dogs in that that backyard the fence isn't tall enough to hold four dogs Memphis will stay on the deck the whole time she's not. She'll get lost underneath the deck. Daisy going to fit right in with your two. The boop squad? Oh, yeah. Mm, she going to be the... She's a three. A three? No way. So. 20 pounds? She. What's Willa? I always thought she was like a fat two. Okay, that's no. like a Like a Marcus Thornton. Marcus Thornton. Okay. And Evie was like a like a Tayshawn Prince, like a, just a long three. Mm, I mean, in this kind of squad, a she's going to have to play NBA. a four. Yeah, I know. John yeah, Henson. Evie's now the four. I think Daisy Gross. Daisy is an undersized three, because I think she's got more agility than than Will. Stanley Johnson. So who's going to adopt the five? Wow, that's Blake. on Blake. We've going, each got two. We're Blake going Great Dane. Yeah, we're going Sean Bradley at the five. <laughs> Sean Bradley. <laughs> Fair enough. Longest podcast episode ever. Pretty much. That's got to be 90 minutes. Uh, sorry about Over. that. But thanks for sticking with us. Um, that's been uh, this edition of the Offseason Podcast. For uh, Blake, Brad, Josh, I'm Matt. Talk to you next time. Oh yeah, kick it!